I can't believe it. that May is over after today. This is the last day of May. And um, one of the questions that we keep trying to update everybody on is when could we possibly meet? You hear about some churches meeting in our community, uh, going to great lengths to meet. And I've talked with our management group and our advisory team, and we've decided that the best thing for us to do is to wait. And I know that's disheartening to some and a relief to others. Everybody has a different opinion of this, but here's our reasoning. We wanted to make sure that we followed the school systems and big groups like sporting events so that we don't jump out in front. And the other reason is, quite frankly, I don't want it to be uh, such a weird experience that we can't really enjoy each other and be together as a fellowship. And so we just decided that we're going to wait for June and not have services in June, and we're going to continue to evaluate it. Now, Governor Abbott is opening more and more of the state. In fact, daycare centers are open, which is a great sign. So maybe at the end of June, we'll be able to feel better about putting our kids in kids' ministry and having church more normally. So be patient. I'm asking everybody to pray for your church, pray for your pastor, pray for the advisory team, the management team as we're monitoring this. I know everybody's making an individual decision, but we want to keep everybody safe. Don't lose heart. We are going to get together soon. I miss you more than you miss me. I promise you. And uh, we are going to do what's right for the mission of this church and for our community. And we're not going to take any unnecessary risk. So hang in there. And uh, we'll keep you updated. But for now, we will not have church services in June. But we will be doing some things on campus, drive-by things, smaller gatherings. So be looking for that. So it's real important that you follow us on social media or download our app or check out our website because this is how we communicate now. And I want to make sure that you know what's going on. So we can't send out an email after all the new um, information comes out. So be following us on social media. Well, not only is this the end of May, it's the end of a great series that I've really enjoyed called Not Going Back. I, I wanted to make sure when we began to realize that there was some benefit in this crisis, I wanted to make sure that we didn't uh, waste it, that we didn't come to a place where we just went back to the way we were living. I mean, I mean, let, let's face it, for many of us, and I'll just speak for me, we were living life at an unsustainable pace. It, it would be so easy to get caught back up in that pace and keep going. And I just decided that what if we took this pause, this giant reset, which is from God, and say, what are the benefits? There are many things I'm going to run back to. But there are things that I don't want to go back to. So I'm not going back to certain things. If you missed any of those sermons by me or Ryan Leake, you can catch them on the YouTube channel. But I wanted to finish this series out strong so that you and I could concrete in some values in our soul so that when, when life returns more to normal, we have a better life for it. So this period of time, it's been helpful for so many. And one of the ways it's been helpful is it's allowed me and probably you not to be so self-absorbed. You know, when you have a shared crisis, what you realize is that everybody's going through a hard time together. And it's hard to feel like you're the victim. So we're all going through this very difficult time. This period of time for me has allowed me not to be self-absorbed. So what it is that I want uh, us to, to not go back to is not go back to a me-first attitude. I don't want to go back to a me-first attitude. 
And the passage of scripture that we've been using here is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Let me read it for you. It says this, be careful, be very careful, then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So what I want us to talk about here is the fact that in this humbling time where we get to really think and reflect and contemplate the way we want to live our lives, what it is that, that I think Paul the Apostle is telling us is really count the cost on how you should live and live as a wise person. What is the wise thing to do? Um, let's not live these unsustainable lives. Let's not live out this uh, uh, life where we're self-absorbed. In fact, this idea of a me-first mentality is a challenging, is the most challenging teaching Jesus ever had. He taught against the days are evil, that the culture that we live in will suck us into a narcissistic, self-absorbed mentality that allows us to believe this lie. And here's the lie. If I get mine when I'm completely satisfied, then I'll think about others or then I'll put others first. But it doesn't work that way because we're a black hole of need and we never get completely satisfied. So this me first attitude is something I don't want to go back to. I don't want to go back to me first. I want to think about others first. Now, listen, don't beat yourself up. We're all selfish at some level, some more than others, some more than others at certain periods of time, maybe under stress. Or uh, you just started thinking in a crisis about yourself. But what we're able to do is we're able to say, well, how is it that God wants us to live? How can we live in a way that's not me first? We're in good company because the people closest to Jesus had this same struggle. They lived in a me first economy. They lived in a very poor economy. They lived in a survivor's economy. You woke up every day in that world and you tried to figure out how you were gonna eat and put a, a roof over your head and take care of your family. And it was survival of the fittest. And that mentality is not new to us. It's been around for a very long time, since the beginning of time. So let me set the scene for you for Jesus's followers. They had just eaten their last supper together, a famous scene where Jesus gives them physical uh, things, bread and wine, to remember him by. And he says some things that must have been nonsense to them. He, he talks about the fact that, uh, do this in remembrance of me. This is my body, which is broken for you. This is my blood, which is poured for you. And the disciples must have been thinking that this is some deep theological teaching that they didn't understand because they would not understand all that Jesus was teaching until after the resurrection. Because right now they're saying, this is my body, eat my body. This is the, my blood, drink my blood. I mean, it must've been just so weird for them, but it was monumental. It was a big moment and it began to make sense to him later. But what happened right after this conversation is amazing. Right after this conversation that Jesus is giving out the bread and the wine, the disciples began to argue. They began to argue um, uh, about who was going to be the greatest. I mean, they were sucked into this me first attitude. Let me read it to you out of Luke chapter number 22. It says this, the disciples, they, they started to argue among themselves about who was thought to be the greatest. It's just like a bunch of men, isn't it? 
to get together and start arguing about who's going to be the greatest, sort of bragging rights, like telling fishing stories or, you know, work stories or net worth stories or sports accomplishment stories. I mean, somehow whatever Jesus had said to them at the Last Supper sparked this competitive nature among the 12 disciples, and they began to argue about who was going to be the greatest. Who was now, they probably all said, well, Jesus, of course, is the greatest, but who's going to be after that? So here's what it says. Who's going to be great? Jesus said to them, kings of nations show their power to the people, but those who have power over people are given names of honor. But you're not going to be like that. In other words, what Jesus is saying is a little confusing there. He's saying, listen, this is the the way the world operates. The world operates with power. And he who has the power typically uses that power for himself or herself. And Jesus is about to flip that idea on its ear, like turn it completely around. He's saying, you're not like the kings or the people with power here. And you're sitting around arguing about who's going to be the most powerful or who's going to be the greatest, who's going to wield the biggest title or have the biggest income or the biggest office or these these moments of prestige that the world bestows upon you. And, And so Jesus is saying, this is not the way we operate. In fact, he says it this way. Uh, but you will not be like that. And then he charges them. He encourages us. Listen to what he says. Let the greatest among you be as the least. So, oh, you want to be the greatest among us? Then be the least. And let the leader be as the one who cares for others. Who is greater, the one who is eating at the table or the one who is caring or serving the table? Is it not the one who is eating at the table? That's what the world would think. But Jesus puts them in a a problem here. He says, but I, Jesus, have come with you. I'm here with you as one who cares for you or who serves you. And he begins to teach us something very fundamental about a relationship with the Father. He begins to teach us this idea that's completely opposite from the world we live in. In the world that they were living in, in the world we live in, the one who has the most wealth or the most power, the biggest biggest, uh, prestige or wields political power, those are the people that this culture looks up to and that's something that most of us want to aspire to. We like having power because it gives us options and control. But Jesus says, wait a minute, who, who do you think has the most power according to God's kingdom? The one who is sitting at the table, a fine dining experience, or the one who is serving the food. And Jesus says, well, think about this, fellas. I've come to serve the food. I've come to serve and not to be served. And he begins to change their thinking. And he should begin to change our thinking. So many times, I don't know if this is true for you, we oftentimes are asking God to put us in a position that our culture would say is great, but it would actually be detrimental in our relationships and in our connection with God. And God doesn't answer those kind of prayers. I mean, God's not trying to replace himself in your life with a bigger paycheck or with um, independence. He wants you to be dependent upon him. And oftentimes our dissatisfaction in life, and again, be offended if you need to be, but our dissatisfaction in life, our dissatisfaction in life, really revolves around the fact that we want more and more and more. We talked about that just a few weeks ago. And um, we're not really understanding how the economy of God works. Now, this isn't the only time the disciples argued. Um, There's a story 
uh, earlier in Luke uh, where, where um, two disciples were trying to get a good position. Let me read that to you. It's in uh, Matthew chapter 20. It says, Then the wife of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, and she bowed before Jesus and asked him to do something for him. For her, So you see the setup here. Uh, the wife of Zebedee came. It's the mother of James and John. And she came to Jesus and said, hey, will you do me a favor? I, I, I've got something to ask of you. And Jesus asked, well, what is it that you want? And she said, well, promise that one of my sons will sit at your right side and the other son will sit at your left side in your kingdom. So this is a great illustration. This helps me a lot because the idea is they didn't get it. And, and I don't get it oftentimes. I get so blinded by the, this idea of me first and trying to rush to the front of the line and trying to get mine. And, and I feel like because I'm an aggressive, uh, sort of ambitious person, uh, type A, if you will, I, I'm kind of always very mission-oriented, like my mission or my goal is to win or to get, get ahead or to do this or achieve. And Jesus says, wait a minute, okay, as he's teaching about the kingdom, God's kingdom, they misunderstood and they took his words and they thought he was talking about the kingdom here on earth. And somehow right? Somehow they thought that Jesus was going to overthrow the Roman government and set up this new kingdom where he would be in charge. And the wife of Zebedee, James and John's mother, goes to Jesus. This is quite embarrassing, I think. Goes to Jesus and says, listen, when you set up your new kingdom, I have one thing to ask you. Can one of my sons, possibly John, could he sit on your left hand? And the other one sit on your right. Now, I don't know about the culture of that day, but these two brothers were referred to in the Bible as the sons of thunder. Courageous. How would you like to be the sons of thunder, but have your mommy go ask Jesus to give you a job? I mean, that's kind of how it works. It's like, I want, to, I want my sons to succeed. Every mother wants that. And so she must have been kind of an aggressive person herself. And she goes to Jesus and she says, hey, um, would, you, would you help them? You know, would you, would you help my, my boys? And I love the commentary Matthew gives to this. The next verse in verse 24, it says, when the other 10 disciples, uh, then followers, heard this, they were angry with the two brothers. You can just hear that, right? You can just hear him say, James, John, go talk to your mom. What are you trying to do? Get your mom to get you a good job. I mean, you can just hear the ribbing around the campfire that night, right, about what's going on. So Jesus is trying as hard as he can to get people to think outside of their context and outside of their culture so that they consider, we can consider what a life following Christ is really all about. And I think it's summed up in this one passage in John, Matthew chapter 20, verse 16. He says, listen, here's the thing. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Let me say that again. The last will be first, and the first will be last. And Jesus takes what we believe is the most valuable and makes it the least valuable. And he takes what the culture says is the least valuable and makes it the most valuable. He makes servanthood and sacrifice something very valuable. Not just because it's noble, 
but because it requires faith. It be- requires for us to um, say no to ourselves. So Jesus takes this world system and says, you get to pick where you're going to be first. You're either going to be first in the world's kingdom, in this kingdom, in the earthly kingdom, or you're going to be first in God's kingdom. But you get to decide. And whatever you decide puts your life on a course toward that goal. Now, what Jesus knew and what we know deep down is that the God's kingdom is eternal. It's forever. And if you're going to be first in a kingdom, you want to be first in the kingdom that's going to last the longest. So he's saying, listen, this world is like a vapor. We just appear for a little while and then we disappear. So if you want to be first here, it's only going to be a short-lived deal. But if you want to be first in God's kingdom, you may end up sacrificing some things here on earth. So it was a new way to live life. And that's really what happens for us. God's offering us a new way to live our lives. So I don't want to rush back to me first. In fact, I want to rush back to the end of the line. I want to make sure others succeed. I want to be part of their success story. Paul talks about it in Galatians. When you come to believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, was buried, and rose again, here's how he describes it. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. Do you hear that? I've been crucified. When I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins and was buried, it's, this world's not about me anymore. But I, I no longer live. But it is Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in this body, well, here's how I live. Paul says, I live by faith in the Son of God. And the faith in the Son of God, why? Because he loved me and he gave himself for me. So I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me. So this idea is this, this world, that you've heard me say this a million times, this world, right? This world, it's, it's not about you. And, and, and I'll, just, I'll just say this, maybe, right, Maybe some of our unhappiness or our anxiety or our depression or our discontent with our life has to do with the fact that we keep thinking about ourselves as the primary goal, that we keep moving through the world like grabbing like all the things that we believe are going to make us happy and asking God to help us. And instead of, instead of saying no to ourselves at some time and saying yes to God, we're just insisting on being first. I don't want to rush back to that. This pause, this reset has allowed me to kind of rethink that, right? And so uh, the best illustration I can think about this is Lisa and I, I'll tell you this, since we became empty nesters, our marriage has shifted and changed quite a bit. Our focus no longer is about raising children or dealing with their daily crisis. We had four kids growing up and it was a crisis a day really with somebody so over the last few years, uh, we have really kind of retooled our relationship. And, and uh, without being totally sappy, I'll just say we've fallen deeply in love in, a, in just a real intimate way that's just so special. Our marriage is so uh, great. Now, we're not perfect. She's not perfect. I'm not perfect. But, and we have our problems, and we still have fights and all that. But I just want you to hear me this. And so what's happened, kind of the measurement of that is because I love her, right? Because I love her, I want to serve her. That's kind of the way 
It has, and so it's not about me anymore. The roughest parts in my marriage has been when I insisted on my way, when I insisted on getting my goals met, when I insisted on being first. And, and so what, what happens to us when we fall in love is we quit insisting on ourselves. So in Luke, Jesus says it this way. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. You want your faith in God to grow? Deny yourself. This is a tough sales pitch for Christianity, right? Hey, come follow Christ, deny yourself, quit insisting on your own way, move to the back of the line, help others, consider others more valuable, more great than yourself, and help other people. I mean, that's just not a a big sales pitch that I'm falling into. I mean, the sales pitch of the world would be, hey, believe in God and dream your biggest dreams and God's going to fulfill it like a giant slot machine. Just keep praying the prayers and trusting God. But Jesus says, no, here's what you need to do. If you want a fulfilling life that's amazing here on earth and eternal forever and ever after this earth, then you're going to have to deny yourself that the way to get everything you want isn't on insisting it for yourself, but denying yourself. And Jesus is saying that he can do a better job with your life than you can do. And this is why your faith grows when you believe this, because your faith grows because you have to believe that God can do a better, lot, better job with your life than you can do. And when you realize that this life is not about you, so I don't know, uh, you know, if you're insisting on your own priorities and your own goals, then here's what you, here's what you should do. You should um, pray. You should submit your wants to God. You should surrender as best you can. And, and this grows your faith. And, and, and you just say, God, not my will, but your will. I want your will. I, I don't want to have my way. These are things I want, but I only want what you want for my life. And you, you get up in the morning and you deny yourself daily. And you say, okay, it's not about me. When you're having that tense argument with somebody that you love, what you realize is you say, oh, the reason we're fighting is because I'm not getting what I want and I don't want what I want. I want what you want. So what do you want? And we become better listeners. And so don't rush back to me first. Don't get sucked into this culture. But come to a place in your life where you realize I'm gonna deny myself. It takes humility. It it takes faith because you gotta believe God can do a better job with your life than, than you can do. And it also takes a decision. You have to decide what you're going to do. Are you going to put yourself first or others? So just begin to notice this week any moments of self-absorbed ambition. Notice when you're insisting on your way. Notice when you're not surrendering the things that you want and they just happen to God. Notice when you are surrendering in the peace that you fulfill. So let's not go back to that. Let's think about others. Let's not insist on our own ways. Let's pray together. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, uh, before you, our lives were all about us. What can we get? What can we achieve? What can we have? And then we met Jesus. And we're so thankful for the life that he's given us because of the cross, that he died on the cross and he was buried and he rose again and we can be forgiven. And just like Paul, we say, Uh, The life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So this world's not about us. So may we not rush back to a life of me first, but may we give ourselves and think of others because you thought of us.
And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.